0: Every shot we hit in training or everything we do in training is an opportunity to grow our mental capacity as well as our tactical capacity and physical capacity as long as we are diligent with what we do. It wasn't the first time I played in it, but I actually um, froze on the first tee. uh, Not even metaphorically speaking, I literally froze and I couldn't move. He said that's exactly why you never made it and you never would. You can't just go, I'm a good public speaker, I'm a good public speaker, I'm a good public speaker, because your brain will go, no, you're not, Jay, you're full of shit.
1: Yeah, I suppose when you have that mindset, you just, you grow so much as a person so quickly, it's mad. Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, Forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts. And you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media at Brian Moylet and at Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. And also, you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. Alright, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Hey, hope you are keeping well. Today, I'm chatting to Jay Carter, who is Golf New Zealand national coach and also host of a brilliant podcast called Talking Performance. Cheers for jumping on, Jay.
0: Cool, man. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah, so I suppose first up, chat to me about what a typical coaching session for you would be like with, I suppose, performance golfer.
0: Yeah, um, good question because it's probably quite different to potentially what most people uh, associate with with a golf lesson, you know, which is... Show up at, at a driving range or a golf club, um, often in thirty to sixty minute intervals, and um, you are limited to what you can do there based on uh, you know the time it takes to play golf. If you average one hole, it takes sort of fifteen minutes, and a, a golfer might hit five, three, or two full shots, a chip shot, and two putts, and so if they do that for an hour, they're only hitting eight full shots, four chips, and eight putts. So it's not too much. Um, in terms of the amount of repetitions that you can get. So the easy way around that for most golf coaching sessions is at a driving range where you might be able to hit 50 to 100 shots in an hour and obviously increase your repetition and give the coach an opportunity to see. But I guess most of that work in a driving range or a traditional golf coaching is done in the technical space, on the golf swing or the chip shot or putting stroke. <clears throat> and the coach will then uh, basically just provide Technical uh, intervention for the player to go and work on. Probably what I do is a little bit different to that. With the national squad, um, most of the players will have their own um, their own technical coach, and so my job will be to take care of some of the other performance factors that um, make up a, a golfer. And so that's you know the, the normal tactical, technical, mental, physical, organisational. But uh, in the past, we probably used to coach them maybe um in silos and you know we would do tactical stuff removed from technical stuff and mental stuff removed from tactical stuff and um we're now as you know they're all into interwoven and they all merge together and you know your physical performance or your physical capability will have impact your mental performance and you know they're they're all going together and it's even one of those things I think we have got to think every shot we hit in training or everything we do in training is an opportunity to grow our mental capacity as well as our tactical capacity and physical capacity as long as we are diligent with what we do so in golf we're blessed with heaps of data so every shot that a player hits we can measure with gps or they are measured with gps how far away they are from the hole how far away that ball went um, what the standards and benchmarks are for players who are hitting shots from that distance so by the time players at the moment, most of our players are overseas in the states, and I just get a alert on my phone saying that they've uploaded a round, and I can literally get a like a Google Earth view of the golf course with every shot they've hit, um, how close it did go, how close it could have gone, where they were aiming. Um, so, but a lot of that can be overwhelming, and then we have um, we have a radar system which is called TrackMan, and that tracks everything the ball does and everything the club does it's a Doppler radar so it tracks everything that moves in front of it so in terms of a training session we can look at exactly why the ball did what it did with no no doubt no question it's all just I guess physics and maths two subjects I wasn't particularly good at at school but thankfully got the TrackMan to take care of that for me so um again but a lot of that data whether it's GPS or whether it's the TrackMan, can be overwhelming a player or too much for a player they don't need to know a lot of that and so my job is probably to use that data to um, ask the right questions to try and get performance outcomes and that's probably the thing that a friend of mine told me years ago is I, i was i loved the data for a long time and i just kept pretty much repeating the data back to the player and a friend of mine said all data does is allow you to ask better questions and so I thought that was a real shift for me to start mm. going. The data doesn't need to be uh, information transfer, you know, with the attempt to probably show the player how much I knew um, just from my own ego, rather, just use it to inform better questions. So, um, yeah, probably quite different. Not sure if that really answers your question, but um, probably different to what traditional coaching or golf coaching is.
1: Yeah, no, brilliant. Um, that is mad with the players overseas and you being able to see literally every shot and what they're doing, um, and keep track that way. That's class. It's interesting you say about the data being overwhelming, and something I think about quite a bit in that rugby is similar in that there's so much data, um, be it a player's personal run meters and all that kind of stuff, um, or else the game itself. And yeah, it can be overwhelming, I think. And it's, I think that players then, if they get too caught up in it, for sure, you can just lose track of actually playing rugby or playing golf.
0: Mm. We have old um, historic data, I think, with golf like things like fairways hit um is is the most common one that people measure how many fairways they hit but it actually has absolutely zero relevance to how you play but it's easy to measure so and it may and then i guess without too much thought you think about it and go oh yeah that makes sense it must be a good thing to do to hit the fairway but it actually has no performance relevance whatsoever. But for f- probably a hundred years, it would have been a statistic that we measured. I wonder, is there any stuff like that in rugby where you're measuring stuff and then after a while you think, actually, what are we measuring this for?
1: Um, that's interesting because I always, yeah, fairways and or fairways and greens in regulation. You know, I, I played golf mm-hmm. when I was younger and will hopefully get back into it. Um, rugby, it's... You need to, I think that you need to look at your team first of all, and you need to be connected to the game and the performance and your team versus connected to the data. So you can look at things like 22 entries. You can look at time in opposition half. You can look at all these different things. But if you're with a team who like France for instance I was watching them against Scotland the last day and they can score from anywhere and they just break out and boom and they just score and they're just like incredible so time in the opposition 22 mightn't be wouldn't be as important for them as it would be for other teams such as in the Premiership Exeter Chiefs and Leicester Tigers these other teams used to get down there and then stay down there and then kind of like beach into submission Whereas you know some other teams, they look <laughs> to just make a line break from kind of anywhere from sixty out. So I think that yeah, you can't be connected to the data. You got to be connected to your team, and and I suppose that's kind of obvious. But yeah, it's um yeah, like you, you say, say with the golfer. I suppose if you're driving at three hundred and fifty yards and you're a, a yard off the fairway, it's better than if you're driving at two hundred and fifty yards and you're on the fairway.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And and probably to your point there, we have players who um, who do play the game differently. So it's about knowing knowing them. So Kazuma Kabori, who's a young golfer from Christchurch, um, he's just had an outstanding summer in the US uh, and he, he doesn't hit it as far as the other lads. So it is important for him to, to hit the fairways. But um, for the other guys who maybe hit it, to your point, 350, well then they don't have to focus as much on that. So yeah, probably a similar thing, like knowing the the team or knowing the player and how that data is going to shape those questions.
1: Yeah. And so then would a lot of, for golfers in New Zealand, it's get over to the States and get a scholarship there in NCAA?
0: Um, it's a, it is an option for them. Um, and a lot of our female golfers certainly do. Uh, we have we have a few male golfers over there, but if, um, historically we haven't really had our best players go. So if we go through our best male players, um, not to say that that isn't a way, but because there are some really good players who have gone and, and are currently there. But um, Danny Lee, Ryan Fox, and Dan Hillier who are our three players on major tours at the moment around the world, uh, they didn't go to college. And if you look through Australia, um, not too many of the top Australians go to college. In fact, I would almost say it's zero. Uh, so the amateur system uh, in this part of the world, obviously we have to travel heaps. As you know, we're in the middle of nowhere. But um, the the opportunities for international amateurs is, like if I think about Kazuma, he played at the start of the year, he was in Australia for three tournaments. Um, then he came home and had the New Zealand Open, the New Zealand PGA. Then he went up to Japan for a few tournaments for the last three months. He's been in America, um, he's due home next week. And then he'll have a month or so here and then Abu Dhabi in October and back to Australia for the back half of the year. So um, whereas if you go to college, so he, he is doing a degree through, um, I think maybe through Massey online. Um, but if you go to college, you only really play eight events, um, and a lot of people. College is a good is a good system, but yeah, we probably don't lose too many of our top level players just because I think they get better, um, better tournament exposure to the international events than they would in college, where they only play maybe eight events a year. Mm.
1: And. Then just going back to what you mentioned earlier about the, say, tactical, technical, mental, physical to chat about the mental side, like how, how do golfers get helped with that? Or I just find it so mad. I think it's the number one, I think it's the number one sport where the mental side is so important or in that one shot over what 270 odd shots can make the difference like one lapse in concentration. And you see it often that like someone goes into the water at the end or it's just mad, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So we've, uh, we've used David Galbraith um, for probably the last 15 years within the program and he's done a great job because he's probably integrated it into um, life rather than just seeing it as, as a golf thing. So, you know, like only using your mental skills when you're in your pre-shot routine or, um, and it has evolved. I remember chatting with, um, with a rugby player who was, who, um, knew David probably, oh, this would be maybe 10 years ago. And, uh, he said to me, he said, oh, what, what have you got on tonight? I said, oh, David Galbraith's coming in to speak to the group and, David was working with his rugby team at the time, and he said, "What have you got DG coming in for? Like, he's he's all about dealing with fear, but there's no fear in golf." And, uh, and I just thought it's a good point. It's not like we're playing a sport where 120 kg beast of a human's trying to um, you know knock you on the ground, or, or playing cricket where someone's firing a missile at you 100. Fifty clicks. Not much can happen if you miss a putt. You just tap the next one in. But um, I think the fear, that primal fear, is still there. And so you know, there's the the judgment and the amount of stuff that can go on in your head prior to having a shot. Um, you know, nothing's moving. You're stationary. The ball stationary. It's not like some of those sports where you can just react and I guess uh, get rid of your conscious brain out of it. I think the fact that your conscious brain's so active. Um, is what makes it such a challenge Um, so we dg does some awesome stuff like one of his classic ones is um he'll come in and he'll have he'll we're often only in a room of say 10 to 20 players but he'll do it with everyone management everyone has to do it and he'll just um, random number generate everyone will have a number and he'll just press random number generator on his phone and um, if your number comes up, you have to sing, so you have to get up and um, sing one of the songs as the ants go marching one by one. So you got to stand up, um, and it, because it's one of those things where he said, you know, like prior to prior to the number, prior to him pressing the button, what's going on in your mind, and it's all this fear of, oh, I hope he doesn't press my number, and you know, there's things like, oh, maybe I should get up and go to the bathroom, or. You know, not make eye contact, and all these things that he said—these are exact things that will happen to you when you face pressure on the golf course. And how do you want to face it? No one likes doing it. Um, we have got one guy in our academy who's a lead singer in a band, so there's a, a bit wasted on him that, that trick. But um, for most of us, you just sit in there thinking, "Oh no!" And always, I've never had it when my number hasn't come up, so I'm not even sure I trust his random number generator. I just think he. Just looks around the room and I go right eighteen, and of course I'll go all right. That was me, um, and he'll he'll often do things like that. You know, what are you doing in your week that makes you uncomfortable, that puts you outside of your comfort zone? Even things like cold showers, um, public speaking, any opportunities you can. So not really much of it has to do with golf. Um, he will, you know, work a little bit into the golf stuff, but. I quite like that approach rather than just thinking it's again thinking about that siloed approach to you know let's do visualization when you're doing your pre-shot routine but if you have these bad habits outside of that then that that 20 seconds when you do your pre-shot routine is not going to be massively beneficial that's
1: class yeah i've had dg on this part he's uh he's unreal and i just i read his book um yeah, just finished there a while ago. I've opened it again, but um, I love that. And it's funny, when you were thinking, or sorry, when you were talking, I was thinking about cold showers. Like I'm hard out on them every single morning. Just just calms the mind, calms my mind. And um, that's exactly what you need in golf. And it's, it's interesting you say, or the rugby player said that golf is different because I think rugby is easier in that it's just all action. So you are just in the game. It's all action and you're just immersed in the game. Whereas with golf, you you have so much time to think. Like, you know, mm. you have two minutes between each shot or you have so long to think. And that's, that's the challenge. Whereas in rugby, often if it's a fast paced game, you don't have that much time to think. So, um, yeah, I think golf is, uh, far more difficult in that sense. And I love that about, um, yeah, just your day to day, you have to live it, don't you?
0: Yeah. Um, a couple of, a couple of probably things I think about one is, um, when I, I played in the New Zealand open when I was about 19, um, and it wasn't my f- so New Zealand opens the biggest event here on our calendar, professional event, and um, it wasn't the first time I played in it. But I actually um, froze on the first tee. I uh, not even mer- metaphorically speaking, I literally froze and I couldn't move. Um, and it was the it was the most bizarre thing where I just I literally was like I was looking at somebody else's. I had no control over anything um, that. And I think that was just the build up of all the cognitive thought, but um would have been I remember I was sitting in a room just behind where I am now with DG. Um this would be what, ten years later when I'm not I'm I'm coaching and I have no desire to play. And he said to me so we just club golf on a Saturday, he said to me, I want you to go out and play on Saturday with your members and shoot 84 I was like I can't do that well they'll think I'm not very good and what, what will they say and he went no no you need to go and shoot 84 I just said no I don't think I can it won't be good for business I'm a golf coach what is that saying and he he said he said that's exactly why you never made it and you never would because you're too worried about what everybody thought and you weren't willing to put yourself out there and just fail and so I thought, oh yeah, okay, I'll have a, I'll have a go at that. So I went out and um, I played. I put my name down on the Saturday and I tried to shoot. I went out with the intention of shooting eighty four, and I think I shot seventy one because I got halfway down the first hole and just went, oh no, I can't do this. Um, these guys will think I can't play, and so and I was really disappointed in myself at the end of it. I was like, God, oh, DG's right. Like, why can't you just let go? And intentionally shoot eighty four. Um so not being a dick about it, but it can be quite hard to shoot eighty four if, you know, maybe intentionally quite a lot worse than you normally do. Um and then so the next week I went out to try it again and I think I shot 70. And so I just could not bring myself and it was really interesting to go He he just said basically that's you've got to get over that. You literally have to just go and fail. Um and it makes sense and people always say that, oh, you know, I got intentional failure and it's all good. But it's so much harder than you think. It took me ages to finally, um, I did do it in the end, but it took ages. And he said to me, you can't tell anybody that you're doing it. You've literally just got to go out and do it. And then, you know, they'll say things like, oh, yeah, you're not very good. I'm not coming to you for coaching. And you can't go, oh, I had to do it. It was a deer. So, um, and I wished I had have had that back. I wished I had a known DG back when I was 19 at, at the Open standing on the tee. But I often do think, would I have been brave enough already to do? Because the work I think that he gets you to do, you have to be incredibly brave and incredibly courageous and fully committed. And I think that's why he gets such good success because those that do work, uh, they're all in. And it's hard to be all in in that space. Mm, that's mad, Yeah. I love
1: it. And when you were saying shoot, a, when you were saying, yeah, he told me to shoot 84, I was thinking, geez, you'd be able to shoot 84, but uh, I, I didn't think the intentional failing. Yeah. I was like, of course you'd shoot that. um, and <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so true. It's so true. It's so true. Not caring about what people think. And I, I kind of about two, it's always working, but about two years ago, I said enough. And that I wasn't caring anymore. It's a process. In that I'd say, fifteen years ago, when people say would, you know, you get people chirping or whatever when you're playing, or people giving you comments, you kind of like, I don't care about you. I'm gonna just do it anyway. And it's a for me, it was a process of like trying to not care about what people thought or what, yeah, what anyone else thought, but about two years ago i was just like i have to really stop and with say putting content out online or the pod starting the podcast putting content out online you know like you want it to be perfect and then that holds you back from ever doing it and i just made the decision Mm -hmm. i was like i'm just gonna put it out there and learn as i go and that was scary but it's it's kind of it's um it's so freeing as well, isn't it? When you do it,
0: yeah. I um, I had a thing with for a while there, so um, I did I tried to do a lot of that stuff, and um, that yeah, DG was saying, and, and still do, considering one of my best mates, but i well not no, but and uh, um, probably. I probably used it as a as an excuse. Hopefully this I was trying to think of how I can say this to have it make sense. But what I found was by not caring. I would inadvertently lower my standards. Um, And so I thought long and hard about that because it's easy to not care if you don't try, but then you defeat the purpose of the not caring. And so um, I tend to like acronyms. So I came up with this acronym s-e-a-c and so that for me meant um high standards uh zero expectations and high acceptance so that meant that for me when i went out to shoot 84 i didn't just act like a idiot and you know intent just obviously um you know not try and stuff so I tried to make my t- my standards maintain my standards really high so I made sure i did my pressure routine i i picked targets and then the zero expectations and so over time this is how i try and play golf now so have high standards zero expectations and then high acceptance of whatever happens and that made a big difference to me because for a while there i think i just had low standards still low expectations but with low standards it kind of defeated the purpose of that and sometimes I can hide behind that with the you know even with the podcast and stuff it's like oh yeah but i don't really i don't really edit it or i don't really promote it because if i did edit it really professionally and i did promote it really professionally and then it failed well that's a harder thing for me to accept so probably got to try and maintain you know have that rule for myself around right still have the high standards and then just accept that what happens what is what happens Yeah, I love that.
1: That's unreal. Um, It's, yeah, they, it's, that holds true for everything. Have high standards, then have zero expectations and accept everything that happens. Yeah, like if you're playing a rugby match, it's the exact same. Like hold yourself to high standards, give everything that you've got, compete in the moment, and then don't have any expectations. And a big... A big reason I feel that things don't go well for players mentally is the expectations that they have. So they go into games expecting themselves to play well, expecting the team to play well, expecting something to happen. But the game is the unknown, and more so than golf. Or maybe you comment on that. But um, the game is such an unknown. I was in with I'm in with Canterbury 19s at the moment, rugby team, and we were chatting before training. We were just doing some mental skills. We were chatting and chatting about nerves. And the two main things that came up were I get nervous because I'm afraid of um, messing up and making mistakes or I get nervous because of the unknown. And I'm afraid of that. And um, yeah, the making mistakes is everything that we're talking about. You can't, you just, you have to get, you have to get over that. But then the unknown is true you know, it's, it's, um, the game is the unknown, but, um, mm. yeah, I think that you, you really, you do yourself over when you're like, I need to play well today. I need to do X, Y, Z today. We need to do this today. That today, you have to accept that it is the unknown and just walk into the unknown.
0: Yeah. Um, is Couple of things there. That that expectations. One one thing we find in golf is, let's say, um, one of the players isn't putting very well, and then they spend a week or two weeks or whatever putting, and they do a lot of work, and then they they think that that gives them the right to putt well on Saturday. And so, trying to blow that mindset up is you're owed nothing by by your practice or um, you know by anybody. You just you do the work because that's what you do. The other part to that expectation thing, I heard this once in terms of basketball, but it can be transferred to golf and probably rugby as well. But would be um, if if you knew that every single shot you hit in golf was going to go into the hole, um, you know, from a from a distance where not on a 500 meter par five, but let's say every shot within 200, you're so good that every just every shot went in the hole. How long would you play golf for? I think you'd give up pretty quickly because it'd be as boring as batshit. You'd be, you'd have this mastery, but actually, it, to your point, it's that unknown that actually brings us back. And rugby would be the same. You know, if every every play you scored a try, you'd get over that pretty quickly. We love the. It's funny because we're anxious about the unknown, but in many ways, that's the bit that we love. So I find that interesting.
1: yeah and that's the exact same with life you know like the when everything is easy you start to get discontented or you're just um disengaged or you want more you want a challenge and it's something that we oh I always have to bring awareness to it myself in that when things are very challenging you know when I'm doing different things and I'm trying to do lots of different things and it's it's difficult is understand that that's what it's about you know it's not about mm. waiting for to be at the top of the mountain or to be at the end of it because when you do you just got to find a new thing and we are fulfilled when we're growing but and when we're improving and when we're striving to be the best versions of ourselves in pursuit of something but that space of growing is difficult. So it's like we're fulfilled when it's difficult. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's kind
0: of like a paradox. Yeah. Even the cold showers is like that. Than you, uh, literally every day is the chat, the internal chat. Oh, maybe I just have a warm one today. You know, I want to, I'm going to sort back or, um, and you can, Bizarre is just watching myself have this internal chat around what reasons I have not to have a cold shower, despite the fact that I know that it feels great. And I've not once ever regretted it. And uh, you yeah, know, sometimes it's harder when it's colder and and stuff. But that that same thing that that struggle all that challenge is in the end what we love. And if you do, um, you know, if I do go, oh no, I was having a warm one today, and then I do you just feel shit afterwards and you took the comfortable way, but it actually just feels worse.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And in that, yeah. In that moment when you take the, the comfortable, you take the easy option, it's yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's mad how yeah. you feel worse. And, and it's like, you know, too, it's just you versus you, you know, you can't lie. Yeah. You can't lie to yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, when you were saying there about owed nothing by your preparation. So what do you mean by that in that um, I think is, is what you mean like say with rugby or I'm sure golf's similar. Like you've got to do the work or it is similar of course. it is. you got to do the work. You've got to train well. You've got to eat well, sleep well. You have to do everything right Monday to Friday. Um, because if you cook corners, then it's going to be on your mind come Saturday. Like if you don't do the work during the week, it's going to be playing on your mind Saturday, and that will often hold you back. But whereas if you do the work, you can kind of like rest assured. It's like all right, I've done the work. Let's see what happens. But see, so yeah, what what do you mean exactly by like owed oh, nothing by your preparation?
0: Yeah, good good question. I probably I um, find golf can be quite transactional in the way that people view things. Um, so if I, you know, like they'll they will practice so that they can play well, or they'll um, go to the gym so that they can hit it further. But for me, I would I'd, I'd try and remove that transactional nature of it and go. I am someone who loves the mastery of working really hard this week. So that going back to that standards, I have really high standards in my training because that's who I am, not because I want to play well on Saturday. Obviously, I do want to play well on Saturday, but I train hard and work hard because that's who I am. I'm the sort of person that gets, um, you know, gets up, goes to the gym, eats well, sleeps well. I do everything in my preparation, not so that I can play well on Saturday, just because that's who I am. So... For me, more of an identity statement around why we do stuff, rather than because I don't think that lasts very long. With um, so, you know, one thing my wife would crack up uh, at this, but I, um, you know, for my relationship with the gym is, um, oh, it's testing. It's a testing relationship. I don't go to the gym very often, and and the reality is, I want to go to the gym. And I want to get results, and so it's really transactional in nature. Um, I, I think, you know, after a week, if I haven't noticed anything, God, I'm not any stronger, or I haven't lost any weight, or I, then, so to me, that's a real transactional relationship, and that can't last very long. Whereas my wife goes to the gym, maybe I don't know, she like fifteen times a week, and. She does, she never weighs herself. She never, like, she doesn't worry about what weights she's lifting. She doesn't record her times when she goes for runs. She just trains and trains hard because that's who she is. So she's not doing it for any sort of transactional thing like I am, where I go, no, I'm trying to lose weight. Or I'm, and by the, you know, you can only survive like that, I think, when it's not your identity for a few weeks and which is why I have the relationship I have with my with the gym so if I could change it I, which I can obviously it just takes work but I've got to get out of that mindset of if I eat well then I deserve to have this no you eat well because that's who you are and that's the right thing to do does that make sense
1: hey Brian here I work one-on-one with rugby players helping them perform better on the field enjoy it more, and maximize their careers. If you feel like there's more in you and don't want to have regrets down the line, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation. And the link is in the show notes. On the call, you talk to me about where you're at now, what you would like to achieve, and I'll show you how I can help you get there. You then go off and decide if you want to invest in yourself and move forward with the one-on-one coaching. For teams, I do mental skills sessions over Zoom. Players will have mindset shifts on the call, but also they'll get exercises to practice going forward. So it's like an s program, but for your mental strength. If you're a coach or manager of a team, you can book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation now as well on offfieldrugby.com. If you have any other questions, you can get in touch with me through my social media at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby, or the website, offfieldrugby.com. All right, cheers. We'll get back into today's episode. Oh, that's incredible. I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, who you are. Um, you have a, you decide who you want to be, and then your actions back up that person and then your self-talk is tied in there too and it all just re it's like a cycle kind of isn't it that all just reaffirms itself it's like this is who i am and Mm. you see yourself as that person and then you do the actions but like you say you have to love it or you have to and you can love being that person like with the cold showers bringing it back it's not it's not to say that when the cold water is hitting you, that you love it. No, like it's easier for me to say that. I love the warm bed more than I love the cold water. Don't get me wrong, but I love being the type of person that gets up at five, gets in a cold shower, has a meditates, goes to the gym and then starts my day. And there's all the, like, there's all the physiological benefits to that too. It's like your, your wife with the gym, like I, I love the gym too but like it's there's physiological benefits are you with eating well it's not like I love eating well because I'm that type of person because I want other people to look at me and think I'm great cuz I eat well it's like no 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 it's just a very it's a it's a it's just your story or what you say and I was watching that quarterback thing on Netflix Patrick Mahomes and a couple others and like he was when he was playing he's like this is who I am this is who I am this is what I do you know and uh, exactly like that's what he and that's unreal like I love that that's exactly what you're saying like he is the person who walks into the fire on a big day on Sunday and plays and balls out and that's who what he is that's how he sees himself and there's no disconnect there you know what I mean and it's interesting this kind of comes into imposter syndrome and when i was younger i still haven't when i was younger i would have had it a lot but i believe that you change your self image you change how you see yourself you stop seeing yourself as and this is something that i've realized in the last couple last couple years stop seeing yourself as this like person at the bottom because then you'll of course have imposter syndrome always when you step forward into when you're growing and you're stepping forward into a new challenge, a new level, you got to see yourself as at the top level and act like you're at the top level and carry yourself like you're at the top level. And then you start to feel like you're at the top level and then, and then it happens. And then you be at the top level versus constantly seeing yourself as this bottom
0: feeder, you Mm know? Yeah, for sure we have a chat, similar one with, um, with the younger players where if they are, you know, let's say the best player in Canterbury, um, and the best, best open male golfer, say in Canterbury. And, um, if they showed up to a junior event, they would have a certain, and they were playing in this junior event and, um, you know, they'd have a certain strut to them. They'd be confident because they know they're going to beat everybody. Um, they would know that they were the the big dog and, and as a result would probably go out and have, let's say, 65. Um, so they'd play well, they'd shoot 65, golf would be easy if we took that exact same golf course um, with the exact same conditions, but they showed up and now the field was the US Open field and Tiger Woods was there in his prime and Phil Mickelson and Rory McIlroy. Well, now I guarantee you, your body language and your behavior is different because now you're not seeing yourself as the big dog. Now you're seeing yourself as, and you wouldn't, I don't think you would go out and shoot 65 and that's one of the things that I think is fascinating about all sport, but how that environmental shift, the actual task of the golf, the golf course stays exactly the same. Your job stays the same and and unlike other sports like rugby, I'm not influenced. Like you and I can play golf together and I'm not influenced at all by what you do um you know whereas rugby obviously you got two teams fighting for the same ball um but i guarantee you that that player body language would be way different behavior would be different and as a result the outcome would be different even though nothing within the actual technical part of the game has changed
1: yeah you know this is to my understanding this is exactly what manifesting is and how you feel, how you behave, your body language, what you think, and how you carry yourself, and like it's your choice. Like I said, that golfer has a choice, and they, you, they're choosing to be to look at their external environment and then determine how they should feel, act, uh, think, walk, etc. Whereas you don't look at your external environment, you choose to feel that way at all times. And then you become it. And you look at Israel Adesanya, Conor McGregor, all these people, look at them when they're starting out. Look at the way they were. And it's so obvious then when you look back. And it's not chance either. You know, these are other people, they... They have something different. It's like when they're starting out, you look at them and you're like, geez, look at the way he is. He the way he carries himself. And that's because they believe. Like those people have said, like, I was a champ before I was a champ, you know? And Mm. they carry themselves that way. They don't look at their external environment and and then determine how confident they should be. They said it themselves. And that's I think that's the key. That's that's what it's about. Yeah. Hard to do. It is. And it's something. Have you heard of Joe Dispenza? Uh,
0: yeah, I have heard the name. How have I heard
1: that name? Yeah, so he's really interesting person. It's hard to do 100%. But essentially, we create these stories. Like, you say to yourself what you are, who you are, you know? And he speaks a lot about, and he does, you know, about meditations whereby essentially essentially, you meditate and then you get up and act like the person you want to be. Pure and simple. And difficult, but not impossible. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's like, you know that golfer can act like the person on the with the the amateur field or the the u.s open field like he can he can choose how he acts and um yeah it's it's difficult but that's uh yeah that's where it's at and yeah dr joe spends it really interesting stuff really interesting stuff um and then it's played out so much like like Kobe Bryant, all these greats. Like that's what they were doing. Like they didn't go in year. Kobe didn't go into the N- NBA year one and go. I'll see how I go. Let me just kind of t- dip my toe in here, see how I see how it goes. And like, no, they see themselves as the best. And I suppose be, not being afraid of failure is the other thing because you gotta you gotta move forward into that really unknown being fully sure of yourself and yeah, whatever it'll be, it'll be like, you're not connected to those outcomes. You know what I mean? I think when you're connected to outcomes and it makes it very difficult when you're worrying about failing all the time.
0: Yeah. And that, that's probably the key bit there, isn't it? Because if you do show up to that U S open field or, and strutting around people are pretty quick to put you in your place. You know, who does he think he is? Um, and then if you do play badly, well then it's even harder on your ego. So that's back to that standards, expectations, acceptance, but you've got to maintain those standards. Um I had a I had a lady on my podcast recently, Rachel Vickery. She was a um gymnast and she's a performance coach now. And we were um might not have actually been on the podcast when we had this chat, but we were having a chat around uh probably back to that identity stuff. And she was saying, you know, you can't you can't bullshit yourself. So if you're thinking about Um, well, let's say public speaking, and you know you're not a very good public speaker. You can't just go, I'm a good public speaker, I'm a good public speaker, I'm a good public speaker, because your brain will go, No, you're not, Jay, you're full of shit. So, but what you can do is you can say things like, I'm the sort of person that likes a challenge, and the actions that I've taken over the last week, cold showers um you know getting up at five o'clock in the morning going for a run or whatever it is these are votes for the identity of the person you want to be so um I guess that would be a way to get because I think to your point when we're talking about we do know if we're lying to ourselves so when I say hard to show up at the US Open and act like you're um the big dog well your brain probably will have some sense but you you've also got enough um identity or things, behaviours that you've done over whatever period of time that back up that identity, which you can hang your hat on. I am the sort of person that works hard. Therefore I can play, you know, my golf can be good or um, I love a challenge. So yeah, constant work on though, I think Brian.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, no, that makes sense. And what I suppose what um, I'm getting at and what Joe Dispenza gets at is that it's not about being fake it's about bringing what you have within you to the fore so the golfer knows he can shoot 65 it's you know mm. you have it within you do you get me like like the and that's the thing we all play so small in life like we all know like like I for years knew I could do a podcast you probably the same and but you don't do it and because you start walking around as this low person and you start telling yourself but you're like you know you've so much more in you so it's about i suppose it's about bringing all of you to the fore and stop seeing yourself as this small fry who who shouldn't compete in this field it's the same golf course. It's the same. You've hit so many golf balls. You know you can do it. So stop looking around at everything around you and putting yourself down. And that's the same with all life. Like like I know right now I can do things that are levels above where I'm currently at right now. And it just hasn't happened yet. But it will happen. And I'm sure you're the exact same. Like you know within you that you're not, at, at, you're, you're not maxing out here in life and what you're doing, you know, like, you know, we, we know that we've more. And so it's about, it's about, um, yeah, being that more and then being that, yeah. And then, and and
0: expressing that. Mm. How do you reflect? Do you reflect on, um, you know, if you notice that you have played small, um, how, how do you reflect on that? Whether it's in your business podcast coaching with the 19s team? Um, do you have a process in which you reflect at the end of the day or on moments?
1: Um, I do reflect at the end of the day and like, I, one thing I've accepted once again, which I, I didn't have when I was younger, is that I'm always learning and growing. So mistakes are okay. I would have held myself back from being what I know I could be because of fear of failure, fear of you know, many different things. Mm. But it's the the self image thing, yeah, changes because like you say when I was a player, even playing like it's like I knew how good I was, but then I wouldn't always walk as, as that player would. I wouldn't always express that. I would have, as you say, look around at the environment. Oh my God, look at all the players. I remember it. Like, look at all the players on the opposition team. Look at the guys I'm playing with. Oh, geez. You know, and all this stuff starts going in your head. Whereas, yeah, it's, yeah, it's once again, yeah, just do reflect and it's just learning. Like, it's like if if and when, you know, it's like often, like I did a talk there last week and just didn't go that well. And I look back and I was like, I didn't, I didn't practice enough. Simple as, I, you know, probably maybe got a bit, maybe a bit, I don't know, I just thought I would be able to not, you know, and it just didn't go as well mm-hmm. as I would have wished it did. And, you know, people at the end, oh, that was great, da, 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 but I know it could have been better. And I just, yeah, look back and go, I was rushing around that day. I didn't give it the time it deserved and I need to be better there. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think, yeah, I think the self image is is a huge thing because it holds, I think it holds you back. I think, you know, be even with golfers, if you're working with like, like they have it within them. It's about getting what they have within them out
0: often, isn't it? Mm-hmm yeah i think uh i think about that a bit um and the i think about that from a coaching point of view and from a even like a technical coaching point of view i often think the player has the answers and initially when i first start working with um juniors that come into our program uh you know they possibly not used to that thinking i'll I'll say you know what do you think and how would you do this and I think they think that I. You're the coach. You're meant to tell me, but and I'd say to them, look, you're the expert of you. You know you better than anybody knows you, even when it comes to injuries and stuff. The physio is great, but you know you. Um, and so, even from a coaching point of view, I like to. And I think over time they start to, they start to trust me. I think at first they think it's a bit of a test, and I'm testing their knowledge or something, but. Um, so it takes a bit of time to build that relationship where they've got the trust. But I think about, um, you know, Maori carving, and they start, or any sort of um, artist like that, where they start with a bit of wood, and the the art is inside the wood. And so the job of the carver is to just strip strip it back to bring the art out. And I think about that um, as coaches. That's our job is to strip the wood off the carving and let the carving show its beauty rather than I think probably what I did when I was a younger coach was just add layers to it, you know, grab that data that I talked about earlier and throw that on. And all of a sudden you've got this heavy cumbersome bit of wood that's of no use to anybody. So I think there's a bit of that where I think the answer, your point, I think the answer for everything is inside us. We just need, you know, good people around us, hopefully to help us strip it back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And with something with rugby coaching, I just believe like that less is more as well. And kind of what you're saying, like you say, strip it back. Like rugby at the end of the day is a simple game. And then like golf at the end of the day is relatively simple too you know you swing it and hit it and and these golfers you work with they've been hitting golf balls for they've hit 10,000 golf balls 100,000 golf balls before they've ever seen one piece of data maybe that's changing now cuz maybe kids these days have range finders and all that but you get me like you know they're swinging clubs so the feel the the touch all that stuff and and it's yeah, I was the same when I started out coaching. You're kind of adding stuff on, you know, you're telling players stuff probably just to make yourself feel important. Whereas, yeah, it's often just a little tweak here or there.
0: Yeah, I wonder whether, I don't know, I've, I've um, David Hill, who I had on my podcast last, he's um, he's a rugby coach. He always takes a piss out of me for my... Um, Lack of ignorance, sorry, my lack of knowledge, my level of ignorance around rugby and some of the stupid shit I say. But um, you look at Jace Ryan when he came in to the All Blacks, and um, from the outside, it looks like he's had a massive influence. Um, but he, and most of the stuff that he talks about is of, that I've heard, um, you know, he's just simplifying. It sounds like he just went and simplified what they needed to do. Um, found out what the core roles were and, and let's just nail that so it, you know he, he sounded I'm sure it was a whole lot more to it than that but it sounded like he just simplified stuff for them
1: mm, yeah I, I don't know what he did but um but yeah it's like at the end of the day you you want the players to have a free mind or like for the for them to be able to switch off the conscious thinking mind and probably same in golf for sure. Like you don't want them to think about where how they're holding their wrists or how they're gripping the club or how they're standing. Like, you know, you don't want them in their yeah. head about all that stuff. And it's the same with rugby and like I've seen some game plans that like I've genuinely at lower levels. Like I've seen game plans at very lower levels, levels that I've played way higher than and I've kind of thought, geez, am I am I out of touch here? Like am I am I not up to speed anymore? Because this level, like you know, just a, a yeah, and I'm like, because I couldn't, I don't think I'd get that. Like, if I were in that team, I'd have to just blank out everything that's being said and just
0: play. Yeah, I wonder how often that happens too. I'd say more, uh, more
1: than you'd think. Definitely, mm. definitely, it's coaches. Um, yeah, definitely, coaches at like even oh uh, yeah just very levels where they should kids should, or players should just be playing and coaches saying do this do this do this do this then here then here they probably don't even know what they're talking about themselves mm. you mentioned um a couple of guests there in the podcast what have been some big learnings you've had on it
0: um yeah that's a good question um the probably the themes have been pretty similar like and I wonder whether you um or I tend to speak to people that interest me so therefore um the message messaging probably um would be similar if that makes sense and stuff that potentially I already believe in um and believe is important but probably the big one would be and again is this because of my bias but the humanistic nature of of performance regardless of what the sport is and I think about um or two two names that spring to mind immediately obviously Wayne Smith being one of them but also Alan Bunting um who's taken over from Smithy as Black Ferns coach most of those top coaches Mike and obviously now that I've said those two names there's a whole lot of names that come into my head but a lot of these guys could coach any sport that they like and I often say that um you know, Alan Bunting could come in and do an awesome job with the golf team with limited knowledge of golf, but because he knows people. Um, And then I think about that and think of Christian Penny, who's now with High Performance Sport New Zealand, but did come from Toi Fakari, New Zealand drama school. So you think, you know, like he was a director there. So I guess that's a little bit similar to coaching, but in terms of no relevance to sport um, or certainly no relevance to golf. But his understanding of people and how to interact and how to get people to think and how to ask really good questions through relationships um, again means that he would be successful and then i think of going to another extreme bill bestick was a sas soldier and then he became a doctor and then he became an anesthetist and now he's a commercial helicopter pilot and an anesthetist and the same behaviors and an interesting you know, being in the SAS and, and, uh, having quite a, you know, like a military based authoritarian style of leadership of yes, sir, three bags full, sir, to having to go into an ED and, uh, and trying to get buy-in. So I guess, you know, that same bit around that relationship's critical and the environment plays a part in that relationship. So when you're in the military, the environment's different. Um, when you're in an ED, environment's different but it's still the same thing it's still the same core you've got to do you've got to do your job with really high standards but then um, understand that the only way to get the best out of other people unless you're in the military is to have strong relationship skills and you know probably show like I think about Smithy and um Alan Bunting and Mike Hesson and not knowing um Mike as well but They've got a deep care for people and you know Smithy genuinely cares for people which is why he pops up everywhere helping everybody you know like why why would he be helping like he's been my mentor for maybe twelve years now um, what's in it for him to help a golf coach you know but now that I know him that's just that so going back to that identity thing that's just who he is and so Probably the theme for the podcast would be um, most of the guests I'd say would be, would put the human interaction, the human relationships, put humans first. And then, um, you know, watching Smithy work, it's often, I mean, he's obviously incredibly good technically and tactically, but I don't think that's where he's getting his gains. It's any different to any other coach in New Zealand who probably has an equal amount of technical and tactical Um, Now, I mean, that's the easy bit, right? I assume in golf, it's the easy bit. You just go on YouTube and you'll find any number of opinions about a golf swing, but having that relationship is probably the critical bit that I've learned over that time.
1: Mm, 100%, yeah. And when you speak about biases, uh, about your potential, guests feeding into your biases, that certainly feeds into mine. And that's what I think that I was... You know, um, when I mentioned those, say, coaches that are overcomplicating the game, they're thinking too much of the tactical and less of the, like, humanistic side, like you say, like, um, you know, telling them 10 things to do isn't going to make them play better, even if those 10 things are right, you know?
0: Yeah. And the one thing I think about is as a coach, how do we know what the, especially in rugby, like you're dealing with 15 or 23 or whatever your group is, people who have had different experiences, who see the world differently and and are going to see the world differently. And so, you know, teaching, like imagine coaching Richie McCaw at the breakdown, like he feels every time, you know, like he he's in it, he's in that moment. Um, but I'm sure he still wants to sharpen his sword and get better, or did want to sharpen his sword and get better at the breakdown. So from a coaching point of view, you can't just go and tell him what to do because he's the one doing it and noticing it. But I guess the art of coaching would be trying to bring some of that stuff out of you know, out of Richie and get him to refine his thinking, which is a hell of a challenge, but that's where those guys are. I think they do separate themselves as top coaches. Mm.
1: 100% yeah it's yeah good point and I've thought I've often thought about that in that Tiger Woods Roger Federer all had have coaches or had coaches of course but none of them would have played next or near the level that you know none of those coaches would have played anywhere near the level um mm. and yeah I suppose it's you need to have a real lack of ego as well or you need to put that aside as a coach which once again isn't I think for young or inexperienced coaches isn't the case you know they kind of think I'm the coach I certainly thought that was the way when I first started coaching I thought that was the way I needed to be or you know just tell tell them everything to do when I was 21 starting out just tell them do this do this do this but um yeah I suppose you work you work with them don't you and and yeah like I say develop that relationship
0: yeah and it's hard I think sometimes the first time when if they ask a question and you don't know the answer um, you know in the past I probably would have made something up on the spot um, talked around it said enough big words that it confused them and they didn't ask me any more questions whereas now I think the answer is to just go look, I don't know but why don't we do some research and you know we'll have a chat and find out what we think and what have we noticed and we'll come back and Explore that. But that's hard to do, I think, as a as a coach because you, you know your ego gets hit.
1: Yeah, and I suppose you just need you need to be comfortable, yeah, comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, essentially. How did it come about um Wayne
0: Smith mentoring you? Um so i actually i can tell you how but how he, well, i do know as i said how he accepted it but dg said to me you need a mentor you need someone who's going to challenge you and i listed a few names in golf and he went he kept saying how well do you know them i go yeah really well and he'd go no not them. then it needs to be someone that you're scared to sit down with um so i thought about it for a while and i've always really enjoyed um i always i still do i really enjoy the aftermatch Um, I watch the, I'm a bit of a geek. I watch the press conferences on YouTube after the test matches and stuff. So I really like hearing the coaches' insights, Um, albeit they're probably pretty scripted and, you know, they don't give too much away. But I always really enjoyed anyway. So I I just thought, oh, Wayne Smith's pretty good. And so I wrote an email to support at chiefs.co.nz or help at chiefs or info, you know, one of those bloody emails. And I literally said, Hey, I'm a golf coach based in Tauranga. Um, appreciate that you probably get requests like this all the time, and you're probably not going to pass it on. But um, I'm looking for a mentor, and I'd love it to be Wayne Smith. And um, I don't know what even I don't know what I was thinking in sending it. What a dick! Um, but then, anyway, I sent it, and then I was sitting down for breakfast, literally the next morning, and had my um, laptop open and. Ding, message comes through and it's Wayne Smith. And I didn't want to read it because I thought, oh, he's probably saying no, but thanks. And uh, so I delayed reading it for a bit and then ended up reading it. And he said, this is like a Tuesday. And he said, "Um, mate, I'd love to be involved. Um, Bring your stuff over to Cambridge on Friday at 11 o'clock. We'll meet at this cafe. And I thought, shit, I don't have any stuff. Oh, I've got nothing. What am I going to take to Lane Smith? So um, so we sat there for probably three hours in this cafe, three or four hours. And I remember getting into my car after we'd finished and just turned my voice recorder on my phone and just tried to download everything that I'd remembered. I sat there for about 10 minutes. um, And then, and it was so cool because there was so much crossover. You know, one of the first things he said to me was, what does your week look like? And I said to my, see the players on Tuesday. And, and this is back when I was doing probably that 60 minute interval coaching that I was talking about at the start there. And he said, Well, when do you watch them play? And I said, Oh, no, I don't watch them play. Um, and, and functionally, it's hard to in for a number of reasons. But he's like, What do you mean you don't watch them play? You just change their swing every Tuesday, but you haven't seen them do anything? He said, that's ridiculous. That's like me going to the Chiefs on Tuesday and Thursday and then saying, righto, boys, see you on Tuesday. I look forward to hearing how your game went. Um, he's like, you're losing all your learning opportunities. And so it was really good to see someone outside of golf because, you know, the whole thing of honour, oh, that's not how we do it in golf, didn't really stand up as an argument. And then, so since then, probably over that time, he was at the Chiefs at the time with Dave Rennie um, and DG. And I didn't want to lean on DG. I knew i could have asked dg to ask smithy but i didn't want to lean on that so i um i didn't and then i went into the chiefs a bit when rennie and um, smithy were there and smithy would organize i remember one session with a kicking session with aaron cruden because you know pre-shot routine for kicking relatively similar to golf um, and then 2019 i went and sp- so obviously had that relationship over the years and then 2019 I went up and spent a week with him in at Kobe in Japan um Dave Dillon was head coach and um yeah spent a week with with those guys just observing and how they do stuff and um Andy Ellis was playing at the time and just get a sense of who the real leaders are and why so someone like Andy Ellis you get a real sense of it's pretty obvious why he was an all-black when you see his behaviors that I don't know how old he would have been then let's I would assume mid 30s when he was playing at Kobe in 2019, and you know, just incredibly high standards and the ultimate professional. And you know, you think he'd already he'd already achieved a lot in his rugby career. In theory, you might think he should be winding down, but no, nah, still had really high standards around what he did. And so, um, opportunities like that are awesome. People will often say to me, "Why do you go and watch rugby for your PD? Like nothing to do with golf, but..." Just think, mate, there's so much to learn. I think rugby globally do a really good job of a lot of the coaching. And I think we're blessed here in New Zealand to have coaches who are open and willing to share, um, like Smithy. Um, And one of the things, one of the main things um, he said to me is you have to give everything, this is on their very first meeting. He said, you don't own anything that you know. You have to give everything you know away. Um, and there's a and he said two things, it'll drive you to get better. Um, and I can't remember the other thing actually, but it was something along the lines of that's you know, that's how we should be behaving. But um there's a, a saying in Stoicism which is relatively similar, which says, The only wealth which you will keep forever is the wealth you have given away. And I think about that, um, and that would sum up Smithy really well. Like he just openly shares stuff with everyone and Um, so yeah that's been awesome and I I played had a game of golf with him here um, maybe two weeks ago so the relationships are any different now I consider him a good friend and still an awesome mentor but the fear to DG's point of you need to have fear around I don't have that fear anymore of um, Smith, he's just a lovely man and um, he's been awesome to me very cool
1: um, yeah, that's really, really interesting with that, um, that stoic quote and it's kind of like what you put out is what you get back and what he's, uh, his, um, just philosophy of sharing and, you know, you help so many people you'll get, you'll get the help back or, you know, it'll, yeah, it'll come back to you that you don't need to worry then. I think that's really good. Yeah. And I love as well, DG, the big thing about being courageous and what you mentioned there as well. And it's something that I, once again, from chatting to him and then getting his book and that I just, a mantra that or just a mindset, I suppose, that I adopted, just be courageous just all every day because every day there's, there's an opportunity to be courageous, you know, um, Mm reach out to wayne smith send the email make the call instead of sending a text when you know you could call and a call be better make the call um just yeah you know away from sport and that's once again just probably tying it back to what you were saying at the very start with what dg does with the golfers is that it can't just be when you rock up to play a rugby match to be courageous or to play at the edge mm. or not be worrying about what people think or getting over your fear of failure you have to live it it has to be your every day and um yeah it's something yeah just that be courageous just something in my mind and just um it never it never goes away but you I suppose you just grow so much you know like there's all every single day there's there's fears there's uncertainty no matter how much you do but um yeah I suppose when you have that mindset you just you grow so much as a person so quickly it's mad
0: mm. and even thinking sometimes that courage doesn't mean jumping out of a plane like to your point it can mean making a phone call
1: yeah and it's like you know it too and that's just going back to what you were saying earlier it's like you know you know if you're taking the easy route you know if you're living it and you can't mm. lie you can't uh you just you can't lie to yourself you can't get away from it you know what i mean and just that ties back to just um what kind of person do you want to be who do you want to be
0: Mm. you love it
1: what's the so just wrapping it up but what's the biggest challenge around your podcast i I started list about 18 months ago What, what was the biggest challenge you found in the whole journey of it
0: um probably that transactional bit that i spoke of earlier on um around why am i doing it so initially it initially it started out because it was dg and i and because i wanted more people to hear from him like i was lucky enough to you know have a coffee or a chat with him every week um and just used to think are out, man. You need more people need to hear you speak. So that was my main motivator, and we did it during COVID, and we did it live on Facebook. So we were getting, you know, you're doing it live on Facebook. You can see how many people are watching while you're doing it, and um, I, I, you know, like there's an initial excitement, and you get Wayne Smith on, and that amps the numbers up a bit. He was, he was our first guest, and and then you start to see the numbers drop, and then think, oh, you know, now is it as good and then starting to watch the numbers and and that's what you're basing your podcast on and so and i've gone through phases of that going hold on what did i initially start this for it wasn't transactional in that do a good podcast get good downloads um or you know people watching on on facebook live and so the biggest battle for me was around probably trying to be true to myself what is the purpose and if i'm honest and I'm being selfish about it my motivator is that I speak to people who interest me and who I want to learn from and and for a while there I had um, scripted questions and I can't remember who it was but someone said to me it was after DG had finished up someone said to me oh you don't sound as natural you don't sound as flowing Um, uh, I think I had a I can't remember now I was Couple of years ago, but I think I had a guest on that I didn't want to stuff up, and so not that I want to stuff up any guest, but I know a lot of them, so it was a bit easier. But so I had this list of questions, and I wasn't really listening to the answer; I was actually just waiting for an um, a gap so that I could ask the next question, and and then having the courage to probably a little bit like this, to having the courage to just go, let's just ask one question. Ah, it was I'm pretty sure it was RJ Smith actually. Um, who said to me, just ask one question and then just see where it goes. And that was probably, that stuck with me. I reckon he's awesome. Um, And so, you know, just, but the courage to do that, to go, man, I've got nothing. I mean, you do your prep, but I I don't have a list of questions now. I, I have themes about what I think I want to find out from that person, but it's not scripted questions. But it probably still goes back to that transactional nature of, um looking at downloads and and looking at instagram you know if i put something up on instagram did i get much interaction but and it's a bit of a thing for me mate because i do want it to be successful i'm not saying i don't um and so that balance like i said before around have really high standards and can i hand on heart say that my standards for it at the moment are where they should be or where i would like them to be probably not but yeah there's a it's a hobby project at the moment. So it's a time thing and there's so probably my biggest challenge is still being really true to what am I doing this for? Um and if I do want to grow it, then why do I want to grow it? What's my purpose of growing it? Is it about me then or is it about um the original? So I've got probably that little bit of conflict at the moment.
1: Cheers for listening into the pod today if you're new to the pod welcome be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time like regardless of results whereas when I was younger there were highs and lows and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then, when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now, I work one on one with players, and yes, I help you overcome challenges and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you, you have more to express, you have more to bring, and it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. i help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with 101 for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increase contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled, and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media, and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, On the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review, and subscribing really, really help the podcast grow. Helps us help more people. So thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks a mil for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.